We live in a world of violence, war, magic, and the supernatural. We are here to bring you a glimmer of hope for tomorrow. This is the Voice of Hope podcast, and you can call me Beacon, your auditory guide to the safety of Castle Refuge. To all Tomorrow Legion teams in the field, Major O'Neill has directed Security Protocol Remkin. Until further notice, refer to the appropriate cipher. Your mission profile references are 2 1 14 7 6 King of Spades 20 11 19 6 6 2 4 13 21 18 4 1 4 3 2 3 King of Clubs 16 18 9 4 6 in the time since our last broadcast, Castle Refuge has seen an influx of refugees, and the area around the castle has been developing into a growing community. However, as with all things that grow, there is often pains associated with those changes. The Council of Hope, the Council of Learning, and the Council of New Laszlo have been engaged in numerous diplomatic efforts to provide food, shelter, security, and meaningful work for the refugees. Rolk Hammerhart, the Counselor of Engineering, has been overseeing the efforts to build the new settlement, currently referred to as Hope Settlement, and his vision is a grand one, as you will hear about later. Some of you may remember a few broadcasts ago that there was an attack against me that caused the death of a few members of the Tomorrow Legion from a group of retribution movement terrorists. Since then, the Tomorrow Legion has been working to root out the bloodthirsty fanatics who seek to punish any group that did not assist with the defense of Tolkien against the Coalition. Why has Castle Refuge become this group's target? Legion Intel speculates for two reasons. The first is that Castle Refuge and the Tomorrow Legion are a product of the combined vision of the Hammerheart Clan, Lord Coke, and the Council of Learning from Laszlo. While the Hammerheart Clan were not aware of the war, their collaboration with Lord Coke and Plato makes the clan suspect. Second, there are some indications that this group of terrorists have taken a personal affront to the ideals of the Tomorrow Legion and Castle Refuge. Of course, primary amongst their grievances is that Castle Refuge accepts former Coalition members, such as myself, as part of their new future. However, it appears that their leader is offended that the Council of Hope is building on a new tomorrow, which is what was believed that Tolkien was attempting to accomplish. If only Tolkien had maintained the moral high ground and not delved to the depths of consorting with demons and devils. Of course, I personally cannot judge Tolkien nor the leaders of this group too harshly, for I am guilty of participating in the horrors of war as well. The difference is this place, and people like the High Defender. The difference is a community that embraces forgiveness and strives to raise everyone around them up, raise them higher than they are themselves. From my own personal studies, the Tolkien of the past was a place very similar to Castle Refuge, but fear of the Coalition led to hatred and transformed Tolkien into a mirror for the fear and hatred of the Coalition. From intel provided by the security forces of Laszlo, there isn't such a thing as a typical retribution squad. They vary greatly in size, anywhere from 4 to 12 members, but at least every retribution squad has a practicer of magic or a creature of magic in its ranks. So far, we are aware of a Simvan Mind Melter that focuses on controlling other individuals to use them as weapons against his target. A local Legion squad was able to find this cell's safe house, and they gathered information that indicated the squad also includes a combat mage and several soldiers, all armed with the latest Naruni plasma weaponry. Several abandoned crates indicate that the weapon shipment could arm up to 50 other squad members. 
You can expect these fighters to use hit-and-fade tactics to draw your group into pre-established ambush locations, oftentimes using magic to mask the danger. Please stay vigilant, comrades, for these terrorists believe you are as guilty for the fall of Tolkien as the Coalition. What is amazing is one small olive branch could have changed all of this. The Council of Hope has gained access to some of the Council of Twelve's records, and we know that King Creed was aware of the Federation of Magic's plot against the Prosec family. How would history have been different if Tolkien would have warned the CS of this treachery? What if Tolkien would have sent one of their most skilled military units to free Lady Prosec from Lord Dunskin? Would our world be a different place today? So, to the Tolkien Retribution Squad operating around Castle Refuge, we understand your anger, your fury. We ask you for your mercy to those innocents living in this area. We ask you to lay down your sword and rest. No one here has a quarrel with you. However, we have an obligation to protect those who have come here to live and to begin anew, and we will do so. The Legion Command Staff recently dispatched a community outreach team to Rapid City in response to a communique from Sylvester Wilkes, the Vice President of Wilkes Laser Technologies Community Relations. He requested the Tomorrow Legion's assistance with a range war that is currently happening on the west side of the Black Hills in the northern Wyoming Territory. For the last several months, a war has been raging between the local Simvin and Sy Stalker tribes that has drug in fighters from the Casper Preserve. But the war is also spilling over into the South Dakota Territory. Wilkes and Bandito Arms have both lost several merchant caravans transporting goods away from Rapid City. His company is concerned that the Simpson might be focusing on Wilkes to acquire needed supplies to fight the Lakota High Stalker Alliance. For support from Castle Refuge, Wilkes has offered to provide a multi-year contract to equip the Legion with Wilkes' most advanced laser pulse rifles, as well as some of their experimental weapon systems like the Wilkes Support Pulse Laser. For those who are traveling here, the Council of Hope has requested a new segment to help your transition to life here at Castle Refuge. Hello, I'm Jasper Burgess, and this is how I got here. I've been asked to tell you about my journey, so that those of you traveling to Castle Refuge know what to expect if you find yourself lost and seeking shelter, a home filled with hope. First, a bit about me, so you know who I am and the context of my story. I am an historian, formerly of Tolkien University. I've worked on several archaeological digs in North America, mostly around the southern parts of the Great Lakes. I am an educator. I have also had the great pleasure of working with the illustrious Erin Tarn, and I look forward to further collaborations with her when she visits the castle again. I am a survivor of war. I knew Tolkien was lost when I saw the Central Library in flames, nimble coalition vehicles screaming through the smoke above. Their task completed, they returned to wherever they came from, with the Tolkien defenders in pursuit. That was my last sight before fleeing the city. I am a refugee. After escaping the carnage, I wandered the wilderness for several days before being found by the first groups that would later be called the Tomorrow Legion. They showed kindness and introduced me to the group of survivors they were protecting. After several days of aiding the CS, they led us all to Castle Refuge. Our arrival was a bit more chaotic in those early days than it is now. They brought us here and guided us to the High Protector's office, where we were greeted formally by the kindly Dwarven Matriarch in rune-encrusted spectacles. After the interview, my group was shown to a parade field and given a military-style tent to set up. We were exhausted from our ordeal, 
but another small group led by a Craig Henson assisted us with settling in. They helped us assemble our shelter, then showed us where to get food, water, <laughs> and a clean shower. Craig's group was one of the first refugees led here by Lord Coke himself. They were from one of the outlying communities south of Tolkien, but their farms had been burned early in the conflict. We later found out that Mr. Henson was the local mayor. A few days later, after some much-needed food and rest, there were some follow-up questions from the High Defender, this time assessing skills. She was shocked I was an historian as I fled wearing my field gear and delighted I had survived. After showing those who were able where they could pitch in, she took me to the newly established offices of the Council of Hope to meet Councillor Comstock, the Councillor of Education, a delightful man with a true passion for learning and education. His plans were, and are, to offer education to all, a true delight after the horrors of the previous months. He then offered me a position in the library of Castle Refuge. I accepted immediately. Having a familiar task was a great comfort. A few short months later, I was asked by Councillor Comstock to start this program, a brief snippet of history for all to hear, with a tie-in to where we are now. An interesting format, to say the least. I hope to prove worthy of the Councillor's confidence. Most of those in my original tent are now farmers again. Step gardens are the norm here due to the steep terrain, and the sight of all those crops and their striking diversity from the ramparts of the castle Stacked up the hillsides, layer on layer, is heartwarming, to say the least. Saplings line many streets, some day to bear fruit and offer shade. This place is filled with hope, not just to survive another day, but forge a future for all who wish to live in peace. I grieve for the dead. I mourn for the loss of the city I grew up in and loved. I lament the loss of the libraries of Tolkien. I gather knowledge and teach those who wish to learn. I help the future we long for come to be. The Hammerheart clan has an appropriate saying. That which is built on a solid foundation will stand the test of time. Our collective history is that foundation, and I endeavor to build a solid tomorrow upon it with all of you. As we build our foundation to a new tomorrow, we must honor those who have paved the path with their ultimate sacrifice. This is Legionnaire's last call. We recently received a report from Set Sapphire, a Tomorrow Legion team operating out of Magestock, and has been instrumental in providing Legion command with intelligence on the growing harvester cult in the Magic Zone. The report begins, Master Mark Gray, mine melter and de facto leader of Set Sapphire, has departed Rift's Earth. According to the acting team lead, while visiting with an isolated community on the western side of the Steel Tree Forest, Set Sapphire found itself defending that community from a monstrous, terrifying, radiation-spewing creature that has emerged from one of the many rifts and anomalies in the infamous D-shifting region that separates the Dinosaur Swamp from the Federation of Magic. In an effort to avert disaster as the titanic beast thundered towards the populated area, Master Gray flew his liberated sky cycle close enough to the creature to attempt to use his possession abilities. Summoning every ounce of his own power and concentration, Master Gray was able to gain sufficient control of the approaching horror to stop its advance, but was unable to defend his own body from the large flying creatures swarming around this monster. 
The rest of the team tried as best they could to pick off these creatures, but one of them snatched Master Gray's body off of the bike and flew away with it. Master Gray, still evidently in control of the giant monster, marched it ploddingly back the way it came, and it disappeared into a misty region, gradually fading from sight. Set Sapphire pursued, but eventually concluded it and its attending flying swarm had returned to the anomaly from which it had emerged, likely taking Master Gray's unconscious form with them. That he had survived this bizarre encounter is, in all likelihood, beyond any hope. But let it be known that his actions save hundreds, if not thousands, of innocent lives. Master Gray has been posthumously awarded the Legion of Honor and promoted to Major. So, Legionnaires, raise a glass. Master Gray, in your memory... The last call of the legionnaire. Justice my weapon, hope my shield, my life's blood blazing upon distant fields. Do not bow your head in sorrow, for now I am tomorrow. Stay safe, move surely, and look out for your fellow refugees. Do not lose hope. I, Beacon, will guide you to your new tomorrow. Speak to you again soon. Hello, this is Beacon. Sean Masters from the Voice yes, of Hope podcast. Uh, sorry, it's been a long time since we've uh, I've actually released a show. Uh, we'll just say 2020, 2019 has affected life, which affected the show, as most people are dealing with today. For season three of the Voice of Hope, I'm actually introducing a new host. The voice of Jasper Burgess for the Voice of Hope will be done by my good friend Gray. Gray, how you doing? I'm doing fine. And how are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. Uh, so Gray is going to be joining us as our lore master uh, in universe as Jasper Burgess. So I've referred to him a lot uh, over the years. So now we'll actually be voicing the NPC. But uh, Gray is also going to bring some uh, knowledge to us as we go through this kind of new segment uh, that I'm adding. So uh, Gray, you want to give a little background for you in riffs? Well, uh, like most gamers, I started young. Um, I am no longer young, so I've been playing Rift since it first came out, uh, off and on, as most do. Uh, really liked the setting and the lore, um, and I've loved moving into the Savage Rifts version, uh, and I'm really happy to be able to voice something on the, the in-world media that's coming out. Eh, and I appreciate it. Uh, me and Gray actually started gaming together almost a year ago on one of the Discord servers, and he's currently a player in my online game, The War on the Range. Yep. In that game, I am happy to be playing a Justice Ranger and a member of the Tomorrow Legion. So going along with that, uh, so this new segment, uh, this metagame segment that we're kind of starting here, uh, just giving you a little background on what's been going on, but for the show, I'm hoping to add a out-of-character segment so we can actually talk, like, gamer gamery stuff. So, you know, talking about character types, talking about adventure stuff, bring in some of the action, maybe talk a little bit of the lore, how it pertains uh, from the, you know, behind the screen aspects of it, and hopefully uh, have a little, some good discussions between me and Gray here. Yeah, and segments like this one, we'll be covering everything from how to organize a group in its interactions with the world, um, economic systems, everything. Yep, and of course we'll be refer we'll try to as we're going through it try to reference the actual uh, gaming books that we are talking about, so you can open them up and uh, at least have the references as well. So for 
this being episode one of the new season. And of course, you know, we're post uh, the Swayed uh, Kickstarter. So there's a lot of people transitioning to Savage Worlds either um, from Palladium or coming into Savage Rifts from other Savage Worlds uh, looking for some of that high octane level action. Um, much like uh, much like you, I understand, Gray, you, you jumped, just jumped in in the last year or so coming from Palladium. Yeah, uh, I had never played any of the Savage World stuff before, uh, mostly due to lack of opportunity. I happen to live in a rural community at the moment, and uh, gamers are not exactly thick on the ground here. And uh, so I'd, I'd known the system existed, and I'd glanced through it here and there, being a general gamer. But the, to actually play, I came in from the coming from Rifts to a new mechanic for that setting. Um, so for the most part, when we're in this metagame segment, we're not going to talk too much of specific Savage Worlds mechanics. Um, there's a lot of really good podcasts out there to listen to those. Um, of course, you've got the Peg Show uh, that focuses on like a little uh, like ten, you know, five to ten minute blurb on uh, a specific mechanic. Then you also have Savage Interludes. Uh, Savage Interludes does a lot of very uh, in-depth analysis for a lot of the Savage Worlds mechanics. There's also the Wild Eye uh, podcast, and also if you look at on YouTube, the Savage Sixty Seconds by all the Wild Card cast. So a lot of opportunities out there to learn about the specific Savage Worlds systems. So for today, though, um, kind of talking gaming paradigms. That's one of the big things. One of the big differences between Savage Rifts and Palladium Rifts is the introduction of an organization called the Tomorrow Legion. Um, So if you've listened to the show, or if you're brand new to the show, uh, go back to Season 1, where I actually interviewed Sean Patrick Fannin. He was the um, original uh, creator, uh, converter of the Rifts to Savage Worlds. And one of the things he said that him and his team talked about was actually introducing what they call a, a gaming paradigm, like the focus with which people focus their gaming uh, game through. Now, most role-playing games do your normal old school, you meet in a tavern, you just build a group and go. Um, but for Rifts, because it's such a rich and in-depth world, um, they decided to try and focus it, and that's where they came out, decided to go with the Tomorrow Legion. So, Gray, what was your opinion of the Tomorrow Legion when you were first looking into the uh, the world for Rifts? I was absolutely delighted. Uh, one of the biggest problems I've, all, I've had with the few Palladium Rifts games I've been able to get into over the past several years, decades really, is there was so much to choose from that and so many places that a character could come in from that it made creating a cohesive group very difficult. And it it was rare to find a GM who could say no nearly enough. Now, a lot of people would take that as a negative when it comes to looking at the Tomorrow Legion, but what the Tomorrow Legion is is a gathering point and clearinghouse for heroes, people who want to make a better future. So you could be from anywhere, any background, but if that's the goal you're looking for, you have a place there. And that made it possible. It was a a wonderful impetus to give a little bit of direction, but not too much, to a direction for heroic gaming. And I was absolutely ecstatic. Yeah, I agree. I think the Tomorrow Legion was actually something that was desperately needed 
um, for Savage World or for the Rifts universe. Um, you know, growing up and playing it since high school. I mean, Laszlo always seemed kind of to be the center of the good guys in North America, but then um, not much came out about them for us to really sink our teeth into. Um, yeah, a couple of Rifter articles was about it. Yeah, and and for people who are aware, uh, right now Palladium uh, is going. Hopefully, will be releasing their raw preview of the first Laszlo book uh, later this month, either probably end of August, beginning of September. So, uh, of course, that's going to be an actual hard document. Um, so, I probably be purchasing it myself just to take a look at it. But it's still in rough edits. Um. Although, when you also look at a lot of the older Palladium books, like if you look at, uh, for example, the all the stuff around Mechanoids, if you look at the uh, Africa World book, and even when you get into the Minion War, they talk a whole lot about quote-unquote gatherings of heroes, oftentimes coalescing around Cyber Knights, but they don't really, they never have an or, much organization other than a gathering of heroes. Yeah, and the Tomorrow Legion offers that as, as, as an open door. Over a period of time, it isn't just the gathering of heroes due to some metaphysical event. It's it. This is a place for heroes to come be heroic and to help whoever they happen across. And that's a really amazingly useful tool for GM. I agree. Um, now, one of the things, of course, with the Tomorrow Legion, I think you know, we both have voiced uh, a lot of strong opinions about it. Um, you know, with the Tomorrow Legion, it it's nice enough that it kind of gives some structure, but it's also not domineering. Now, some people have said, okay, how does it exist? Because it's kind of in that space with, between CS uh, Missouri and CS Arkansas. Oh, Hey, the, you know, the coalition would crush them. Um, Sean Patrick Fannin himself pretty much put it there intentionally because he put it there kind of to be the center of all the action that's happening in North America in the timeline, i.e. 109 PA. Um, but one of the things that he points out is like, Hey, Kingsdale's still there. Wyken's still there. There's still several small independent city States kind of in that space. So he felt that was a pretty strong centralized location to put it in. Well, and the control the CS has over territories outside the fortress cities, like they'll claim all of the former state of Missouri. Well, they can claim that all they want, but you get past a few miles from their fortress cities that the control is nominal at best. You know, there it's patrols. It's, it's not like North America today where you have vast tracts of open interstate that gets maintained and people are following the rules everywhere and things like that. It's, it's literally a fortress town that occasionally you send people out into a high risk environment and they can claim for political reasons that all of this territory is theirs, but they're not actually engaged in ruling most of it. Um, and to do so would take resources they just don't have. Yeah, it's like Afghanistan today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to put it in reference for people who've, who've served or know people who have. Yep. And so the other interesting thing about the Tomorrow Legion, of course, you know, the Tomorrow Legion centered in Castle Refuge in northern uh, Arkansas, you know, that that and the Council of Hope is kind of where a lot of this paradigm revolves around, but when you dig into the actual information about it, so the Castle Refuge itself, actually three kind of entities came together to create the Tomorrow Legion. It's the Clan Hammerheart Dwarves, 
um, which is new to the actual world. Uh, they actually created Castle Refuge itself, but then um, Lord Coke brings refugees from Tolkien there almost by accident, leaves them there with some of the defenders that were escorting him, and then over time he ties uh, the castle in with Laszlo and New Laszlo. So it's kind of like all of these um, good kind of pseudo-organizations within North America that are all kind of coalescing together and going, hey, let's make an experiment here. Yeah, and it's it's the Tomorrow Legion is is a direction. It's an ideal. Uh, it has a home base at Castle Refuge, but it's interacting with all of these other more open-minded and progressive governments compared to the, you know, totalitarianism of the coalition states. And they're very much more inclusive, so it's in a way, Castle Refuge became the center of a mutual defense pact and has its own force, which is the Tomorrow Legion, which is their job is to just go help people and protect them from threats. Yeah, exactly. And and once again, it's it's kind of one of those things where the the Legion's not powerful enough to really, like, it's powerful enough to tip the scale, but not, like, be the huge lever in world events that are happening around North America. Oh yeah, it's tiny. Um, we we tend to think in in our modern scale, where you know, like look at the U.S. military; it's ginormous, right? Well, the Tomorrow Legion is small groups that just believe in an ideal and and talk to each other, you know, and and they have a command structure, but it's not nearly as Einzvai kind of you know. You do nothing without an order. It's here's some guidelines. Don't, don't break them. And when we send you that way, go that way. So it's not as, as involved in the, every, my, my, the minutia of every character's actions as a modern real world military. A, a better example would even be looking at the U S military, like U S cavalry during, you know, post civil war, you know, mid, you know, Midwest in, uh, Native American Wars kind of thing where really uh, there was a lot of units out kind of they got their initial orders and then they were out for months or even a year without really talking to anybody higher up. Yeah, and that's something else that that's covered a little bit but is rarely center stage in any of the rift settings regardless of mechanic. Communications long range don't exist. Not not really. I mean radios maybe 50 miles. You know, so if you're past an hour's drive in a car you can't call home <laughs> you know you're on your own out there yeah even the concept of the voice of hope i mean i i kind of play around with that and tie everything into ley line transmissions and all that kind of stuff for my own head cannon. but uh well and that's repeaters and things like that which are great but if you're doing with just say if the coalition states were to put repeaters everywhere so that they could actually get the signal out through all of the ley line radiation and things like that they would be very vulnerable to attack right Whereas the, you know, being a little more magic friendly, you know, the, the voice of hope can use ley line communications to make a transmission that can't really be consciously garbled to end up appearing at another community dozens of miles away and having a little repeater there that's actually protected by its community. Of course, that's also some of the fun of why in the past I've introduced like demon speak and stuff in during the during the show because you know hey if you're using the ley lines for transmission who knows what's going to get involved with that. 
Yeah. Or where it came from or when or, you know, it's all over the map because you're literally talking about a fracture in space time plus magic. Yeah. Actually, one of my favorite episodes is when I tied uh, Beacon and uh, Dwayne together. That was really fun. Oh, those were a delight. So, uh, of course, we're spending a lot of time talking about the Tomorrow Legion. Now, mind you, the other and the other mirror uh, within North America is the CS. I mean, now, once again, how you run your gaming table, you know, a lot of people use the CS much like the uh, Empire within Star Wars as the white stormtroopers are just there for me to put blaster bolts in and mow down by the hundreds, much like Cobra in the old G.I. Joe shows. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if we're, you know, also if you're looking for a more rich uh, and, and nuanced game, um, there's a lot of people that actually like running CS coalition central centered games not from the perspective of okay i get to be a, a jackbooting nazi but more that hey i'm a human i'm defending humanity and then over time they get to start experiencing some of the things like hey not all of these creatures that are resident to this planet now are evil yeah yeah when they they grow out of that very limited black and white, you know, propaganda, the, the headline version of, of reality and realize that there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of, you know, real substance to what's going on out there. And that, that can be an interesting experience. Uh, so we got the empires of humanity book. Um, that is a really good way to start. If you want to run a CS centric or a free Quebec centric game, um, aligned community you know there are many communities that are not part of the coalition states but uh, fall within their purview mm -hmm. and generally have very closely aligned belief systems right actually one of the communities that have always been a little weird to me is wyken like the the counterpoint to kingsdale and they they paint it as very cs centric yet one of the leaders is a cyber knight so that's one of the, but the the all, everything written doesn't paint the cyber knight as one of the the evil cyber knights it it paints him as a well he's he's a firm cyber knight so it's one of those things that's kind of confusing to me for wyken for example um i was kind of confused by a fair amount of that as well but i and i can't remember where i read the the article on it uh essay on the subject um concerning the use of the cy warriors which is a similar organization to the cyber knights uh, originally debuted in the cyscape book uh, from Palladium, where many of them joined the coalition uh, and trained in their methods a whole generation of psychics who fought in Psy Battalion in the coalition states as Psy Warriors. And there, it, it, the article actually went into the mentality of those who joined because the coalition states, no matter how dogmatic and totalitarian, really does protect its citizens. They have a higher quality of life than anywhere else in North America. Uh, they live longer, healthier lives. They live in better security. They do so at a cost, uh, potentially to be a little flowery about it uh, to their own souls. But that's not inherently evil. You know, the, the, the idea of we will protect ourselves is not an evil thought. 
And so many of them actually, not many, not like a majority, but enough of them ended up joining the coalition states that it, it, it helped bring some of that nuance into the game for me. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I know uh, Heroes of Humanity does have uh, introduced a section about the Cy Battalions, um, so maybe that's where some of that is, although I... Th- maybe. I wish I could quote the source, um, uh, but I can't remember. I'm sorry. The note for the future is something we'll dig down into when we look at it. So, Sean Roberson also announced there's another 32-page document coming out called the Coalition Data File for Humanity, focused on the CS, um, bringing in some more of the CS equipment, and actually including a plot point campaign that basically plays out kind of like Gray and I were talking about where the players start out as staunch CS troops and then eventually evolve to see some of the what the CS is doing in the world to those that aren't inherently evil. Yeah, and there's there's something to be said for someone who tries to work within a system to change it. I mean, it's it's if it it's fun in a role-playing sense to look at the coalition states is that evil, horrible, you know, fascist empire and shoot them, shoot them, shoot them till they're dead. That can be fun, but it's a very two dimensional game. Um, to be someone who's like, I know that there are things here that are wrong, but then to also look at, you know, the average life expectancy of 130 productive years and, you know, high quality medical care and, and people who, who don't have to sleep with a gun under their pillow to protect them from whatever might literally crawl out of the ground <laughs> that that's worth protecting, you know, but at the same time want to change it. And the, to that work must be done from within as well as without. So it can be, that can be a very interesting and nuanced game with the right group. So with the Garnet town gambit, uh, the introductory adventure that comes with the savage rifts game master shield, uh, that actually starts out introducing some of the nuance of the coalition because one of the NPCs you meet from the get go is CS, but he's not, you know, I'm going to kill every DB CS kind of person. Yeah. Of which I imagine there are many, they just tend not to be vocal public or you know, anything that'll get them arrested. Or is there anything else we wanted to say about the CS? Well, other than, you know, know your group. If you're going to, if you want to run a CS game or you've got players who want to you know, run a CS game or be in, play in one, know your group. Um, it's really easy playing a CS group to, you know, do some pretty serious harm to the people around you. So, you know, to, to enter it with care. It's a very mature game. Um, and just, you know, keep an eye on it. We're all there to have fun, not hurt each other. Yeah. That's definitely one when you're having session zero that you got to lay out the expectations of, Hey, you know, we're probably going to be dealing with some, you know, I don't, you know, preferably wouldn't want racist, you know, responses, you know, humanist centric responses from the group, but you'll be surrounded by that quite a bit. Um, or if you do start in that way, make sure everybody is comfortable with it. And then hopefully, you know, the intent is for you to evolve away from that. Yeah. And, and remember to have fun. If, you know, there are serious, some of the best moments in, in my gaming life have been those moments that actually made me cry. You know, they were powerful and amazing moments. But overall, when I'm gaming, I really just want to have some fun. 
And it's with that serious a subject matter, that's going to be a little harder to do. So it's going to take some careful writing and a really good group to pull that off. Yep. And that would be it. Hey, I'm pretty sure that with our group, we could probably do something like that. But to be honest, I, I'm fine with adding in NPCs, but I don't necessarily want to play that because, well, the world we live in, you know? Yeah, I, I don't need to play what I see <laughs> every day. The whole point is to escape. And I, it's, it's, not, it's something I've explored before and it was valuable. I'm pretty happy not to go too deep into that anymore. You know, deep in there, done that. Let's, you know, have some laughs and stomp some evil heads. Exactly. Now, so the third kind of gaming paradigm that's kind of out there that people tend to gravitate to is, you know, you could refer to it as the mercenary paradigm. It's also your standard gaming, you know, your standard gaming, hey, everybody meets up in a tavern to create the group paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so within uh, Palladium Rifts, of course, Mercenaries has been, you know, I mean, hell, heck, there's three books all focused around Mercenaries. You know, places like Murktown or Arsno would be good places to start such a game um, if you're looking to be a Mercenary group or your, you know, but your standard adventuring group could really start anywhere. Yeah. Uh, there are some major advantages and one big disadvantage in my experience when it comes to mercenary groups. They tend to be about money. Money, 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 money. And money breaks games. It, it's, you know, when you're doing the heroic game and your your GM is good with it, you're getting the gear you need, you're getting the repairs you need, you can move on. You're not thinking about money all the time. Well, in a mercenary game, that's literally the point. And it's it goes back to, I mean, almost 90% of all gamers start with D&D, and a big part of that is, is the looting the dungeon aspect. Um, you know, you can do that with Rifts, um, but honestly, I think, I think that ends up coloring the focus of the game. But if that's your gaming group, by all means, have fun. Once again, have fun with it if that's what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, I've had a lot, I've had a blast playing a Merc game. Um but they tend to devolve into accounting, which is a job in the real world I've had <laughs> and kind of loses the escapism. Now, mind you, one of the ways to potentially do the quote-unquote Merc game, I mean, you've got a great TV template that ever, most people in this, you know, you know, this hobby love, Firefly. Like, look at Firefly. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, the scum and villainy from Star Wars. But you never see them really dealing with the accounting, if you will. They're always stuck in some sort of shenaniganry adventure. So if that's what, you know, that would be a really good template for like a mercenary group. Yes, it would. Um, Where money becomes almost at the beginning of a session, like, hey, you've finished the last job, you're going to take a few more jobs. And your GM can just say at the beginning of your next session, a month and a half has passed and your jobs haven't paid so well. And that's, you know, part of the setup, you know, whereas most of the mercenary games I've been in, the players were, you know, doing nothing but accounting. 
Yeah. And actually, a really good example of a mercenary game that's out there, if you look uh, online to a search for the Living Rifts campaign, uh, Cameron Cleveland is running a, kind of a Living Rifts game out in Southern California, and it's set in 101 PA, so in the very beginning of the Rifts world. And the, their group is a bunch of mercenaries out of Kingsdale actually uh, escorting a group uh, a shipment of oil from Tampoco back up to Kingsdale and so it's uh, you know the shenaniganry that that group gets into as they're going there and back is pretty interesting and it can be that such adventures it, again if it's a method of getting the story told you know if it drives the story then use it I mean, there are several other groups that you can focus on. You've got Reed's Rangers, if you want to kind of play a vampire-focused game. You've got the Tundra Rangers up in Canada, which works very much like the Tomorrow Legion. Or you've got any number of the named mercenary groups that are out there running around. Yeah, and there's ample resources to work out how you want your Merc group to operate. Now, when you get into, you know, past your adventuring paradigm, of course, in any of these games, for the most part, with the exception of the CS, for the most part, all of the iconic frameworks that are listed in all of the tomorrow, in all of the Savage Rift books should be available. Uh, if you're doing a, if you're actually doing a uh, CS game, um, yeah, okay, so you're not going to have magic-based folks, but you could probably introduce most of the psionics, you know, mind melters and bursters and stuff like that. So, uh, in addition to the gaming paradigm, uh, there's also the game time frame that you're looking to frame your game in. Um, for the most part, when you look at the Tomorrow Legion, uh, it is framed in 109 PA, the, uh, set in the aftermath of the C.S. Tolkien War. Um, and that was done intentionally to try and give access to a lot of the more advanced stuff um, with not having to deal with issues like the Minion War, for example. Yes. And was, a, I, I think, a wise choice. Um, Agreed. And if you listen to some of the interviews with uh, Sean Roberson, the current line developer, you know, he, uh, in his discussions with Kevin Sambita, he kind of talks about the Savage Rifts uh, world being kind of a offshoot dimension. Um, in fact, he's planning on having some, uh, some like live play events, living campaign events that will kind of illustrate where the timelines diverge. Interesting. But along with that, I mean, even though it's set in 109 PA, you can use this information for any, you know, any of the time frames. So, you know, like for example, you know, the, the living Rifts campaign, they're doing 101 PA. Um, so, for the most part, I don't think there's going to be many uh, things other than equipment that's not available at that time. Yeah, some of the new CS gear wouldn't have been out yet. And other than that, it should all be uh, pretty much there. Um, well, maybe the Naruni stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's for you and your game master to work out once you start uh, running the game. Um, some other time frame jump in points like uh, the the game where me and Gray met, we were actually playing uh, the Mechanoids invasion. Um, so starting at about 102 PA. Yep. Good game. I miss it. Yeah, I miss it too. I, uh, Sir Lava is still one, probably one of my favorite characters. So, And I've still got three different versions of Blue. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 
Um, another uh, another one that I would love to, if I had the time, I would start converting is the Juicer Uprising. I mean, that in and of itself was probably one of my favorite world books, uh, just because it was such a tight, um, tightly writ book, written book that actually had a lot of good information and a lot of good adventure hooks in it. Yeah, that that was an incredibly dense, um, essentially localized event. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's interesting because it actually had some very, uh, very big impacts on the CS when dealing with the co- the Coalition Tolkien War. Yeah. Now, once again, there's there's another jump in, you know, for campaign is the CS Tolkien War. Uh, that would make, you know, somebody wants to actually jump into that and try to turn that into a plot point campaign. That would be a, a Herculean event, but it'd be pretty amazing. Yeah, if if there's a GM out there that can manage to put that together, I'd be interested because major conflict style wars, actual, you know, what we see in movies, wars, you know, the old World War II stuff where it's massive armies clashing on pretty clearly defined battlefields is incredibly hard to bring into a role playing game. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, personally, I don't truly like playing military-based games because most people who have not been in the military don't really know how chain of command and all that kind of stuff works. And honestly, it's not all that fun to game in a chain of command. Yeah, you're, when someone says, go that way and shoot at stuff, well, okay. <laughs> Player agency is lost. Yeah, unless you're playing something like a special forces unit or, you know, you can... You can dial down that paradigm to something that's playable, but it's generally a little bit more difficult. You might as well be playing 40k at that time in that way. Yeah, and you might as well just get out the minis and roll your fistfuls of dice. So other than that, this is kind of the format that we're looking to start adding to the podcast. Now, I would like to mention a couple people uh, for inspiration. One of the individuals on the Savage Rifts group on Facebook, uh, Robin Tunkel, uh, he's actually been observing our War on the Range game on Mondays. And uh, so what did Robin tell us here recently? I was delighted to find out that uh, Robin's daughter's a fan and keeps asking him when the next episode's coming out. So if you're listening, I would really like your review of my work as Jasper Burgess. Yeah, I'll admit, Robin telling me that really kind of like, oh, crap, okay, I really need to get this going because there are probably people like his daughter out there looking for looking for a, a little bit of the voice of hope. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to be a part of it, and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what people say about what I'm doing and, and listening to the community on how that should develop. Yeah, and it, it's funny. I, I'd been I, probably the other reason I hadn't pulled the trigger on this is because I was kind of toying around the change in the uh, the show, just because uh, you know a lot of been a lot of good fans on the in world portion, but when you actually look at the downloads and plays and all that kind of stuff, it's the it is the actual um, meta game discussions that do tend to get most of the listeners when they jump in. So, as the host, going well, do I need to change the format a little bit? And, of course, uh, you know, like the Savage Rifter from Gary and Victor, um, they took a pretty long hiatus. It looks like uh, Victor's looking to bring that back sometime here in the near future as well. So you might be getting some a lot of Savage Rifts podcasting in your ears soon. Which uh, I think all of us who are still living through lockdowns would greatly appreciate. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Happy 2020. 
Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, something a little bit less happy. Um, so the portion of the sh- show, the uh, Legionnaire's Last Call. So the Legionnaire's Last Call is intended for you guys, the listeners, to give us your stories of uh, the characters that commit the Blaze of Glory mechanic. Um, that When talking with uh, Sean Patrick Fannin, that was one of the mechanics for the new uh, Savage Rifts that was just amazing because, you know, we, we all look at death in role-playing games differently and the fact most of the time, you know, a character's death, just like in any TV show you watch, should be something that's moving, should have meaning behind it, not just be because of a random dice roll. Yeah. So the Legionnaire's Last Call was uh, actually created after that interview talking with him. And it was kind of my way of going, hey, so let's tell those amazing stories of the people of those last moments so we can share those as a community. If you have those, definitely uh, take a look at the email at the end of the show and uh, definitely send them in to me and I'll work with you on them. Now, this show's uh, Legionnaire's Last Call is kind of uh, kind of special. Um, so Jim Snyder, one of our GMs on the Savage Rifts Facebook page, uh, he actually submitted some work for uh, some stuff in Season 2 with one of his friends, Gary White. Uh, Gary was kind of the de facto leader of his group playing... Um, Master Gray, a uh, mind melter for the Tomorrow Legion. Unfortunately, in November of uh, last year, uh, Gary passed away suddenly um, due to, uh, I believe, some heart issues. Uh, it was very tragic and, and very, uh, it was very hard moment for Jim. Well, in bringing the show back, I kind of spoke with him and asked him if he would be willing to put together kind of. Uh, Master Gray's Blaze of Glory as both an honor to that character, but also an honor to Gary as well. So, so hopefully, uh, hopefully Jim and hopefully Gary that you enjoy the Legionnaire's last call for this episode. And with that, um, you know, throughout the rest of the show, uh, like I said, if you guys have any uh, reports from your uh, Tomorrow Legion set teams that you want to send in and uh, share with us, just reach out. Uh, of course, I've got a little bit of formatting stuff that I try to set up for the show, but just let us know. It's a great way for the players to be involved in this aspect of our community. So if you've had one of those amazing moments, you know, the kind that you you know, tell us a story for your other friends and, you know, goes around your table for years, share it with the rest of us. Yeah. And especially in this time where we're all kind of locked down and locked in. And unfortunately, uh, most of your gaming uh, stories are around the virtual tabletop as opposed to the actual tabletop. Um, Probably any of that stuff will help to bring each and every one of us a little bit of hope as well. And we can all use that. Well, with that, Gray, do you got anything else for the folks as we uh, call it a night? No, just uh, tune in. Let us know what you think of what we're doing and uh, give us some suggestions on where you'd like us to go. Uh, The section that I do as Jasper Burgess is going to be very heavily driven by the questions people ask. It is a lore section. So if you have a question about, you know, filling in a little detail or bringing people's attention to a specific aspect of the lore, specifically as it relates to its history, how something came to be, that sort of thing. You know, send us the question, and I'll make an episode about it. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, it may not have, you know, 100% accuracy of the information, because, well, you know, it's riffs, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
It's definitely not. Well, Jasper, I will uh, speak to you next time. See you next time, Beacon. If you have any refugee questions, wish to leave a mission report, or submit a Legionnaire for Legionnaire's last call, please email me at voiceofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Finally, check out savagerist.com, the premier Savage Worlds play-by-post website. The Voice of Hope podcast references the Savage Worlds game system, available from Pinnacle Entertainment Group at www.peginc.com. This is unofficial media content permitted by the Media Network Content Agreement. This content is not managed, approved, or endorsed by Pinnacle Entertainment Group. Certain portions of the material used are the intellectual property of Pinnacle, and all rights are reserved. Savage Worlds, all related settings, unique characters' locations, and characters' logos and trademarks are copyrighted of Pinnacle Entertainment Group. The music in the intro and prologue are Killers and Rhinos theme by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Riffs in the Megaverse are registered trademarks of Palladium Books.